0: Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Mo'ali.
1: Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited that you're tuning into this episode. We're going to talk about how can you get over your sexual shyness? Where is it coming from? And tons of fun stuff that you can do to enhance your sexual experiences. Before I go in depth about this topic, I wanted to remind you that this is the last week we're doing the giveaway for our third year anniversary raffle. So if you are interested to win gift cards, sex education books, or tons of other surprises, make sure you are checking out our Instagram account at Oasis2Care. It's my private practice handle. You can find the link in the show notes. So our guest today is Carol Quinn. Uh, Carol is a co-founder of the Center for Sex and Culture in San Francisco, as well as staff sexologist and company historian at Good Vibration, the women-founded sex shop, where she has worked since 1990. A noted writer and cultural sexologist who worked has been widely published. She's written or edited several books, most recently the sex and pleasure book, Good Vibrations Guide to Great Sex for Everyone. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Carol Quinn. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It's my honor to have Dr. Carol Quinn on our show today. Dr. Carol, welcome to our show. I'm so happy to be with
0: you. I love talking about sexology and everything related to it.
1: I am so excited to have you on this show, sharing with you. I woke up this morning with, I think perhaps I have pneumonia or something, or really bad flu. I was like, no matter what, this show needs to be recorded because Carol is amazing. So here we are. Sorry, guys, if my voice is kind of husky and kind of odd. <laughs> so tolerated for this week. So I'm so excited to have Carol on the show. I love your books. And I know that you have few of them. And And I'm so excited to talk about some of the content from those books that I felt it was very interesting and it would be great to share it with others. So one of the concepts that I love that you you are promoting in the content that you have Mm -hmm. is around the definition of sexual pleasure and experience of sexual pleasure and how broad it is. So tell us, what are some of the ways that people experience
0: sexual pleasure? Well, I have been thinking about a concept that I call seven billion sexual orientations for a little while. And of course, every single way that a person experiences pleasure isn't the same as a sexual orientation. But this language, I think, tries to, to get at how broadly humans can experience pleasure and how people are different from each other. Really, it's a way to think about sexual diversity. And we still live in cultures that tend to make us think that there's one normal way to be a sexual person. And there isn't. There are many, many ways. The human can, between our psyche and our, our physical body, its neurology and the way it experiences sensation, there are so many things. So things that, that we often call fetishes or specific kinds of, of desires, people can be interested in enhancing erotic experience with Different kinds of sensation. Sometimes people like sensation that's very strong. If that that can slide into what we sometimes call BDSM or kink. BDSM is bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism, which covers so many different things by itself. That's already about a billion things (laughs) that people could choose to do, or could enhance what they sometimes call vanilla sex, which is. Old-fashioned bodies getting together and and vaginal or anal insertion, oral sex, touch and stroking and grabbing, kissing, all of those things. And then there are the the things like exhibitionism and voyeurism, where someone wants to show off their eroticism, be viewed by another person or watch somebody else. There are the preferences around the way that people might want to integrate their sexuality into relationships, open relationships, monogamy, polyamory, where someone has more than one, everyone consents, everyone knows relationship. And sometimes those relationships are a field for the person who has connected with one person, but they're not 100% sexually compatible And so another partner may be more compatible in certain ways. One partner is their vanilla sex partner. Another partner is their partner for kink, for example. So really, unless someone is doing something that is not consensual or doing something that that is actually harming them or a partner, and there are ways that that can happen, but most of the kinds of sexual possibilities or erotic possibilities Don't fall into that category. They're simply differences that may be accepted or not by someone's social grouping or where they come from, but they're just differences. And because our neurology and our erotic interests can be so broad, in short, we don't have enough time for me to fully answer your question.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love when you were talking about all this different many of the thing that people find pleasurable and it can be a form of sexual expression and sexual pleasure because sometimes i find some couples that they get stuck with what we kind of at times call sexual dysfunction perhaps intercourse is painful or perhaps there are some challenges and they feel defeated because they feel like they cannot experience sexual pleasure. But hearing from all these wonderful options that you mentioned, maybe right now this area is something you want to work on, but there are other ways for us to experience pleasure and receive and give
0: pleasure. When I was learning about sexology in the first place, I came to San Francisco in the 1980s. The 1980s were a very intense time here with HIV AIDS and the, the, the rising up of safer sex education. And I was training at San Francisco Sex Information, a wonderful organization that had on its training staff, a man who was a bisexual sex surrogate. So he was a surrogate partner to both women and men under the support of psychotherapists who, you know, work with surrogates. And he said something that I will never forget. He said, if you have 120 ways that you can achieve pleasure and get off, then if you have to stop one of those things, it's not as large a loss to you as if you only had one in the first place. And this idea that, that there is one normative thing that people have to do sexually, that a couple, a heterosexual couple has to have penis vaginal intercourse, for example. Many people really strongly believe that they think that there's Something badly wrong if they can't connect that way, and it's a wonderful way to connect. But there are so many other things to do, and I think Stephen's his name was Stephen Brown. He was a wonderful man, and I think that Stephen's insight is so useful to everyone. If there is, if you have a vaginal problem. If your penis doesn't get hard, if you don't have one of those organs in the first place, if you don't want to use them intimately with another person, so many things could be possible. You still deserve a sex life if you want one. You still deserve an intimate life and and pleasure in your body if that's what you desire. So thinking about what the other options are, you know, when you see when you see clients or patients, I'm sure. That, that sexology and sex therapy, in a way, that's the core question when we're helping other people, right? So how can you expand from an unnecessarily narrow idea that doesn't work for you right now?
1: Absolutely. And I love that view of adding tools in the toolbox and kind of adding different ways that you can experience pleasure. Because even if you don't have sexual dysfunction or challenges, why wouldn't add variety and excitement if that's something that you're interested in? So now that you have us excited, I know at least for many of my patients, they are talking about vanilla sex is something that's the the only kind of way of connecting sexually with other people that they know, and many of them are interested to examine kinky sex or adding different things to their sexual
0: toolbox. So how can we go about that? So I think the first thing that a person can do is whether they're in a relationship that they want to add to or whether they're a solo person who wants to add possibility to their future sex life is go to their own responses and fantasies. What, what erotic material have they seen or read that they responded to strongly? What do they fantasize about? What, what seems intriguing to them? Because there are so many possibilities that bringing it to that core response is a really good place to start. So then there are, are two more really important steps and and they could be conducted. They don't have to be linear. I don't think one of them is to speak to their partner. If they have one and to, to, to just start talking about what else, you know, I, I love what we do or what we do can no longer satisfy us for a variety of reasons. What else can we do? What could we add? What could we substitute? Whatever their need is and desire is, and, and get their partner to start thinking in this more open way, which they may already be doing. Sometimes two partners are fantasizing like crazy, and they're afraid to talk to one another about what they're saying and thinking. All of their friends outside drinking wine at night may know all about the fantasy, but their partner might not know. So bring it to your partner if you've got one. And then, or when you're, you know, when you're swiping right, you'll, you'll begin to know what to say with a new person that you might be meeting for the first time. But also educate yourself about what it is. Are there safety angles to what you might want to try to do? Are there, are there, sort of special tools and toys? Do you need to get a special outfit? Do you need to, you know, practice your persona? Do you need to, like, work up your skill in some particular way? You know, people who are afraid to try a new thing sometimes are simply worried that they're not going to be that good at it to begin with. Like, people who hesitate to do oral sex with their partner. A lot of times it's simply... I don't think I'm really as good at that as maybe somebody that my partner has experienced before. I'm just not going to try it. Mm-hmm. Well, try it. Get your partner to give you feedback and tell you what they like. This idea that there's one way to have sex sort of also goes for trying new things, that there's, there's a perfection to it. There's a way, there's a way it must be done. And if you're afraid that you don't know what that is, that can just stop you. And I think that those pieces, learning either from classes, from books, from informational videos, every kind of sex thing in the world is on the internet now. We, we can't always go to those places and say, well, this person knows everything about it because anybody can go on the internet if they've got the right setup, right? But but adding layers of information helps you evaluate each layer. And then you feel like you learn more about sex than you already knew. And that in and of itself is empowering. Getting to the point where you can speak to your partner, very empowering. It's intimacy building. And finally, if people are not sure about how to how to negotiate what it is they're going to do. Person one wants to do these things. Person two wants to do these things. The three list exercise I think is fantastic. It's really easy. A piece of paper, Write Yes, no, maybe. Actually, yes, maybe, no is a better way to do it. To put the maybe in the middle between yes and no, where it often lives anyway, right? And to write down everything that's that's desired that maybe you would like to do that are your limits that you don't want to do. Because when people have not had their boundaries respected, or if they even don't know for sure what their own boundaries are, it can make it more difficult in the future to risk and to, to explore. So if you're in a place where you can establish all of that and get get respect and comfort and, and a person working with you, not against you, then you have the best context You've talked to yourself and admitted to yourself what you like and desire. You've spoken to your person. You've gotten comfortably communicative with them. You've learned some things about the things you want to try. You're in excellent shape to step forward and have a really new and fantastic sex life compared to a person who is scared to admit, to talk, to look To to, to explore.
1: Absolutely. And I love that you're talking about uh, people kind of implementing and doing these things versus focusing on mastering them. Because I tell people at times sexual experiences is just a matter of compatibility. And you can build compatibility with good communication because it's not necessarily about how it looks like many of my clients coming and telling me like, but you know, so-and-so is so great at sex. It's like so-and-so porn star. It's like, does your partner like, like that? So if they don't like it, it doesn't matter. What does it look like? It just matter how you feel and taking, having this courage to have these conversations with our partners and also giving ourselves permission, kind of saying that, okay, I like this and I, I'm okay with experimenting with it without having any judgment because sometimes people have these sexual fantasies and they have this conflicted relationship with those fantasies. Yeah. They don't know like, okay, why I have this. I don't, I don't like it, but I find it arousing. So that can be very complicated. One of the books that you had, I didn't know, and I loved when I discovered it yesterday. It was about exhibitionism.
0: Oh good, yeah. I didn't
1: know that. That's a topic that many people are not talking about it. And I was reading through it and I was thinking about it. That's a common fantasy that many people have. But what gets in the way that they, they feel shy, they don't, they don't feel comfortable to go there. Even, I know in the book, you were talking about masturbating in front of a partner. And I know at time, even in this show, we talk about do mutual masturbation in front of your partner. And I, the feedback I get from many of my clients who are the listeners, they're telling me, I, I would be so embarrassed masturbating in front of my partner. So tell us, how can, I get, how can we get over our sexual shyness?
0: Well, I think that one of the things that we can do, if we, if we come to the, the to the decision that that's something we would like to be able to do, say, masturbating with your partner, in the first place, so many people, and especially people who were assigned female at birth, but I don't think only, you know, people who, who have identified as women, but also lots of people of lots of gender identities and, you know, identities of all kinds, feel that they're not attractive enough. You mentioned porn. And of course, porn is a fantastic place to get a, a broader idea about things that you could do sexually. It's a fantastic place to get aroused to its great companion to masturbation, as so many people have learned. But it's also a form of media. It's a movie movie that someone made, just like somebody in Hollywood got a script in the mail, had to learn some lines and went and made a movie about dinosaurs running around a park, right? It's not reality, even though when we see people having sex, we think, oh, that's how people must have sex. It's nevertheless a created entity. And so the first thing is, remember that you're not In porn, you could fantasize about being in porn all you like. That's sexy, but porn and what these folks do on a date or with their partner might be different sexual acts or with different enthusiasm. So there's that, and then use the the power of. so, So so you're not a porn star. You don't have to look like a porn star. You are yourself. Someone's with you if they desire to be sexual with you, and you want to do that back. Great. You're where you need to be. There's, that's, a, that's a fabulous place to start from. Mutual desire, great. Then think about when you masturbate alone, just, just put the fantasy in your head that your partner's watching you and appreciating you and thinking that you're super sexy for doing this. So many of us don't think of ourselves as super sexy. But if we put the idea in our own minds as part of the narrative of the fantasy that we're sexier than ever before, and that we, we find that having someone's eyes on us unleashes feelings that we didn't know we had. Very often, that's the reality when you, in fact, try to do it rather than the fantasy. So, so don't start it feeling pushed into it or wheedled by your partner to do it. Do some, do some fantasy and pleasure-based work on your own hesitations first. And again, you never have to do that if you don't want to. That's, that's one of a jillion possibilities, but it's such an easy one to step across a line. Once you do step across that line, you'll wonder how it seemed as difficult as it was, as long as you've got a supportive partner.
1: That's so important that you're you talking. I love when you were talking about that perhaps even when you're acting that partner is desiring you oftentimes that's the reality Then i see it in couples again coming in my office that the again heterosexual couples the woman saying like i i hate my body and the partner really desiring it and right. i think that that would be a good day for people kind of to practice kind of showing up with less shame around their body and being more confident so yeah. and i know in the book you talked about Sexual shyness is not necessarily equal uh, lack of confidence. So tell us, what are some of the, where is this sexual shyness coming from for most people?
0: Well, I think that there is a combination of what I spoke about before. I've never done that. I'm not sure about it. So there's just this, this, this simple hesitation from being a beginner at something that can manifest itself as shyness or reticence. There's the, the body image issues that so many people have, the, the I've been comparing myself to models, actresses, and porn stars my whole life, or actors for people who, who don't identify as female. I, I, I know that that's what our society terms ideal. So I have always accepted some judgment about my own body which may not be perfect, or other people can't tell that you don't think it's perfect because they think you look great, but you nevertheless continue to have this sense of, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not that good looking, right? And that's, that's part of the self-esteem challenge that so many of us have, whether it's based in any kind of objective reality or not. And if you think of it as objective reality, you're still ignoring all the ways that we should be able to be diverse people in the bodies that we have and enjoy ourselves and our partners and our our erotic pleasures. So all of that is part of the, the mix. Finally, it's cultural shame, like Oh that's kinky. Oh you're not supposed to do that. Oh masturbation isn't really all that great to begin with. You're only supposed to have sex with your partner. If you have if you masturbate then you're some kind of loser. All these these messages that filtered down to people, often when they're too young to really resist them. You know like curious teenagers who have gotten pretty bad sex education. They're not old enough to go out and be adults and have sex yet, but they're looking everywhere they can for answers because society hasn't answered their questions in a sex-positive way. And that's a time when these judgments often really solidify for people, and especially if they live in a conservative community. But even if they don't, judgments can, can be hard to resist. So, one thing is you've just got to realize that you've been touched by the sex-phobic hand of society or some friend group or your religious upbringing or your fear of your grandmothers picturing you having sex. Or, don't think about that. Uh, <laughs> any of those things can, can affect us, push us into shyness but any of those things can be unwound, and sometimes it takes a supportive sex therapist to help. other times just a, an enthusiastic and loving partner can help us, giving us good feedback partners your your partners need your loving positive sex positive feedback. remember that it's not you may think they're the, the the queen king or whatever of the universe, but they may still have these sensations of I'm not good enough to do those things. That's frightening to me. And feedback is a helpful entity for them as long as you're not being pushy and coercive, Mm -hmm. right?
1: love that that you're talking about the individual and also the support of the partner and the other thing that i found it was fantastic in your writing that you were talking about how people can use porn and erotica to enhance their sexual life because oftentimes we hear like the narrative around porn is like it's negative to neutral but i love that you are introducing it as a tool for people to improve their sex life so please tell us how can we use that
0: in that way well, in the first place, if if anybody is is nervous about visual porn and bringing it into their lives, if they find it too much, if they find it off-putting, if they they can't stop comparing themselves to the performers, all of those things can can leave a person unwilling to embrace porn as part of their sex lives, and that's okay. They can they can have that that perspective permanently, or they can have it temporarily and, and change away from it. But going to erotic writing, or as you can find in so many places these days, just audio erotica. You know, it, it used to be 20 years ago that you had to put a tape in a tape player to get your audio erotica or or call a phone sex line where there was a person waiting to talk you through a fantasy. But Today, there are are podcasts and, you know, apps that give you erotic experiences that don't include visual material. So you can close your eyes, fantasize, add your own visuals to the, the scenario if you want to. And those things do a couple of important pieces of work for someone's pleasure exploration. One of them is gives you different ideas about things that might be fun. And erotic, it tends; they those tend to to be supportive of erotic excitement and a version of exhibitionism. They are not generally super shy scenarios, although some of them are. And that lets you think outside your box, so to speak. And it also lets you increasingly normalize the idea of erotic fantasy, erotic language communicating more clearly about erotic situations because if you're reading, listening, watching, those always give you a template. For example, if you want to start to talk erotically with your partner, your partner says, talk dirty to me. Ooh, that would be so exciting. And you're like, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, a few dirty words, fine. but, But how do you put them into a sentence? I think the easiest thing to do is have a favorite erotic story. And just narrate that to your partner. Oh, I really like this story where these people do... And then you just narrate the things you like about it. And, and you'll be talking erotically because you're describing an erotic scenario. Now, later, you might want to take the roles of the people in that story and role-play them. That's another trick that you can do. So it's it's not a, a clear template ABC, but it's a a space where... You get inspiration. And of course, inspiration from outside plus your own erotic feelings and interests is, a, is an exciting mix. It's a potent mix because you don't have to feel like you're in a rut. You can even use that outside inspiration as a, a kind of a cloak if you're still too shy to say what you really find erotic and And use that more erotic language as a way to generate more comfort, less shines.
1: Well, I love that you were talking about different ways that people can consume erotica and porn. It's interesting. Historically, I've I've been exposed to porn. I watch visual porn, and during recent years, I discovered audio, and it's absolutely erotica. Like you, I love that. But I think audio one is such a different experience. Yeah, I feel it plants seeds Mm -hmm. for people's creativity Mm -hmm. and gives you the kind of more kind of space kind of like to be sexual and also examine your eroticism and bring it in with the partner. I love it. I feel like that maybe it's my experience as a woman that I like it more. And again, the more I listen to it, the more I like it. At the beginning, I was like, okay, this is a little bit boring because it's not as stimulating as like getting visually exposed to things. But now I love it. I think it's fascinating.
0: And I also think that it gives, it gives you different, different levels of of ways to engage because obviously you're hearing somebody else, somebody else's experience or story. So there's a layer of, well, that's not me. That's them. I'm just checking it out. I'm listening to them. And then there's the layer of, I'm imagining myself and my partner in this scenario, or my favorite porn performer, or my favorite singer. I, any, it could be anyone. I mean, there's there's a you know there's some some discussion within consent culture of of not being too creepy about this like don't don't you and your partner necessarily choose your bridesmaid from the wedding and, and, and utilize her as your fantasy person? Because then when you have brunch with her, it might feel a little different than it used to feel. <laughs> and she might want the opportunity to say fantasize about me or not. But that sort of scenario aside, I think the way that we tend to think about fantasy is either that... It's a rehearsal for or a, 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 a replaying of something that we actually want to experience ourselves. That's frequently true, but it doesn't have to be. And another way to sort of address the, the, the fright and shyness and pressure around shifting your own sexuality is really remembering that these forms of erotic expression – I mean, I'm an erotic writer. I know that that when I sit down to write an erotic story, I hope other people will find it appealing and hot, but I'm not writing down a template for other people to go home and do it. (laughs) That's a whole other level. You know, I'm not writing an instruction manual. I'm writing an inspirational and fictional project. And so people need to remember that fantasy lives in their mind, They can share it between minds with their partner. It has many physical implications if it arouses you or if you act it out, but you don't have to do any of that. You can fantasize about the aliens coming and taking you away in their spaceship and having an alien orgy with you. And aside from those few people who swear that really happened to them... And I, that's above my pay grade. I don't know whether that's right or not. (laughs) You can fantasize about that for your whole life and never encounter an alien orgy that you have to decide how to respond to. You can utilize the ideas for what they give you as far as erotic inspiration and arousal is concerned. And then you could have vanilla sex with your partner and they may never know that you're having sex with the aliens while you're engaging in loving intercourse with them. You know, it's a cliche to say our brain is the biggest sex organ, but it is true in every way because not only is our brain and its chemicals completely implicit in how aroused we can get, it's also where orgasm happens. So we, we need to respect our erotic mind. We really do. And if we don't feel like we've exercised those muscles yet, it's like going to the gym for the first time in the new year. You just start with what you can and what's comfortable. You don't hurt yourself. You don't go too far. You, you stay comfortable and gradually your wings stretch and you get curious about other things. That's how it works. And you can stop wherever you need to stop. It isn't the situation where you... Okay, by, you, you think hard about what we're saying today, and by June you can masturbate in front of your partner. Great. That doesn't mean that on Halloween you have to go to an orgy and masturbate for everybody there. Maybe you live in a big city. Maybe you could, but it's not a linear pathway. You don't have to go swing from the chandelier. You don't have to act out all the porn that's a complete myth. If someone says to you, oh, if you're really sex positive, you would do this thing in the porn movie that, that, that I like to watch. That's not what sex positive means. Sex positive means you, you respect sexuality and you expect, respect other people's sexuality. In a nutshell, it doesn't mean you're going to do all the things or else you're hung up. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. If, you, if a person's hung up, they're hung up for a reason. They can always get around it somehow, to some degree, if they desire to not feel that way anymore. I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line with shyness. It's a form of protection, isn't it? You know, clinically, if somebody's so shy they can't talk to other people, they probably want to get some help. As far as sexuality is concerned, going too far outside your own comfort levels often isn't the right way to, to get less shy, Mm -hmm. respecting your comfort levels, making sure your partners do too, then pushing a little, stretching a little. That's the way to do it.
1: I love that. Instead of kind of like prematurely deciding I'm going to do this because I don't want to be this person, you are kind of, it's an invitation for you to kind of do a version of 1.2 version of what you usually do and kind of like practice that muscle as you you mentioned.
0: Or you really want to please your partner. And you really push yourself past your limits to please your partner. That, in a supportive, careful context, maybe that works. But so often that leaves a person feeling less in control of their sexuality than they were before. And so I just want—I want people to take their own space seriously and know that you're not trapped there. There are people there who want to help you with this set of issues, as with other sets of communication and comfort issues in, in the world, but we are, we are where we are and we can take steps. But if we jump off the edge of something, we might get hurt when we when hit the bottom. So just, just be kind to ourselves in a sexual realm as in other realms. I think that's the, the bottom line. It's not that hard to grasp that. And if you're in a context where other people aren't supporting you and being kind to you either, then start thinking about that. <laughs> Because there are ways to fix that too, but, but you, have to, you have to take each step.
1: Well, Carol, I, I love this conversation. And as I was sharing with you that I, as I was reading your material, I was like, oh, I want to talk about this and that. But we are toward the end of our time. And I know you, have a, and you had a prolific writing career, and we do lots of workshops and training. So our listeners are interested to more, learn more about the content that you put and share with us. What would be some of the good places for them to check them out?
0: Well, I have a website carolqueen.com and I have been the staff sexologist at Good Vibrations at goodvibes.com. And the stores in the Bay Area of California is where mostly I do my work. So either of those places would be online places where they could visit. From goodvibes.com, there's a way to find me and ask questions. And although I never answer them in as speedy a manner as I wish I could because of all the things that I need to do, I love to hear from people. And in addition... If people want to find some of my books, they'll find them at goodvibes.com. Exhibitionism for the Shy is the one that we've been talking about the most today. There's also the Sex and Pleasure book, Good Vibrations Guide to Great Sex for Everyone, where I tried to distill all my sexology and all good vibrations, institutional knowledge from talking to so many people about sex for all these years. And if people don't know Good Vibrations, it's a... It's a women-founded set of erotic stores based in San Francisco, but also in the Boston area. We also have the Babeland stores as part of our family. And so there are lots of places in in different parts of the country where if people have never shopped in person for sexual products, wow, it's a different and and an exciting experience compared to just going online. Although going online is great too. So All of those possibilities are around for people finding me. And I'm also on Twitter too. I'm on Facebook, but I never go there. On Twitter, I show up sometimes and say a thing or two.
1: Excellent. So we'll leave a link to the show notes, to all the URLs of all those wonderful things you shared with us. Thank you so much for being generous with, with your knowledge, with your time. And it was a pleasure to have you on our show.
0: A real pleasure. If you want me to come back and talk about something else someday, I would be more than delighted. I would
1: love that. Thank you. Great. I hope you found my conversation with Carol Quinn helpful and gave you some information about what you can do to be more spontaneous and courageous in bedroom. If you are looking for ideas, make sure you are downloading the PDF I created. It's on the show notes and 101 way to spice up your relationship. It is divided in three categories on how spontaneous and fun and spicy you want to make things with your partner or yourself. I I would want you and I invite you to at least try some slightly above your comfort zone and you can email me and let me know how it goes my email is drmoali at oasis to care thank you so much for listening and i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute
0: for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.